Paul writes here, and this is actually beginning a new section in, uh, in the letter, just to, just to give you a background. It's beginning in a new section. Um, the first verse of chapter 4 concluded uh, the, the beginning of things that uh, Paul had there with verse 1 of chapter 3, and verse 1 and 2. And now we continue into this new bit. I entreat Yodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. May God bless to us this reading from his holy word. Well, as I mentioned, I had a, a friend contact me yesterday, a, a pastor of another church, I won't mention the church or the friend's name or anything, uh, but he has just started going through a bit of a difficult time. Uh, they made a decision in their church, and they've had a, a, a bit of controversy and conflict that has come out of that decision. Uh, and I, I just I read between the lines a little bit of his email that uh, it was a bit uh, unsettling for him, and he was struggling a bit. Uh, and I just tried to encourage him to stand strong, uh, and that the decision was good, and it is a good decision, uh, just stand strong and weather all of it. And, uh, and that sounds really easy, but as I've known from my own life and my own experience, I've gone through many, many seasons of conflict, and sometimes it's very difficult to stand strong. I understand that, and keep a good attitude, keep a good mindset. I've also gone through a number of seasons of spiritual conflict. Uh, many of you might recall earlier in the year, uh, I said that Karen and I had been under some very intense spiritual attack where one thing after another after another was happening. We had more than three patterns of three things happen to us. And I said, when that kind of thing happens, it's almost always an indicator that you're under spiritual attack of some sort. Now, sometimes you have things happen and you might want to blame it on the devil, but it's because of your own sin, you understand. But this wasn't that case. In fact, I believe very strongly that God doesn't play games with us when this happens like that, when something happens because of our sin, that if you take a moment and you pray and you ask the Lord to show you and you really want to know, the Lord will show it to you. Uh, he doesn't play games with you that way. So you can repent and you can get over it and face the consequences and, and move on. But this was a, a lot of spiritual attack and we felt like there was some witchcraft involved with that and there were some other people that mentioned a bit of this in their own lives. And, and I had a couple of people come up and, and ask me at various points. They said, Are, aren't you afraid? And I said, well, no, I'm not afraid you know, because I believe in God's ability to bless me and care for me more than Satan's ability to hurt me. Now, I'm confident of that. Uh, but that's easy to say. But when you're going through that, where it feels like everything is coming against you, it's even hard to do. 
even as I started out the worship set this morning, we had a really good morning, good time of practice and everything, and uh, Ade was starting out on the drums, and, and we started singing, and all of a sudden, I don't know if any of you perceived anything, but all of a sudden, I was coming under some massive spiritual attack. I was feeling discouraged, I was wanting to quit, I was thinking, you know, there's conflict, there's, there's, and it was, it was terrible, you know, and I'm there, you probably didn't notice that, but I'm there, and, I, and I'm wrestling with that, and I'm dealing with that and singing, and, and hopefully I got all the words right, I never can tell, sometimes I, my, my head moves in a different way than my mouth is moving, uh, and that was happening a little bit this morning, and all that's going on, and, but we persevered, and we got through it. Now, these kinds of things can happen to us quite frequently, but you notice that we don't talk about it a lot here. Uh, and it's not because it doesn't happen. It's not because spiritual warfare is not real. It's not because that conflict between people sometimes doesn't happen and that you have to go through difficult times. In fact, we even see this as biblical. I mean, you look in the passage today and Paul starts out this final section. He says, hey, I entreat. I'm begging you, Yodia and Syntyche, agree. Stop fighting. Stop bickering. I remember one time, it was a, a great, uh, great moment of shame, actually, probably for me. But uh, it was a season of conflict quite a number of years ago. And I was going through that, and I was with another elder, and, and the two of us were going at it uh, quite a bit. And uh, somebody who, an, another person in the life of, of actually our church, uh, came, saw that going on, and said, would you guys just stop it? Grow up. You know, and she was absolutely right. Uh, and we did eventually, but uh, that's another story altogether. All and that's what Paul's saying. He's saying, hey guys, you know, you're, you're arguing. Just agree together in the Lord. Work together. And he says, my companion that I, I'm writing to here, I want you to get them to work together. I want you to be the intermediary. So these kinds of things will happen. And I know some churches when they approach this, and some teachers, when they approach it, they almost approach it like it's a badge of honor. You know, I, I, I've seen people have this, yeah, you know, we had a real great time of ministry, and boy, you know, the demons really slimed me afterwards. You know, we had, I had an argument with my wife, and my bank account was drained, and, and there was fraud against me, and thank you, praise you, Jesus. You know, all this bad stuff happened. Aren't I a great warrior in Christ? I'm like, no, stand firm in the Lord. Don't capitulate to this. It will happen sometimes, but don't focus on the junk that's happening to you. We need to have a different kind of focus. And I'm frequently asked by people, how is it that you survive the stuff that you survived? I remember one time I related at a conference uh, some of the conflict that we'd gone through even here at City Temple. And afterwards, a guy who had known me for about four or five years, didn't know City Temple all that well, but had known me, he came up and said, I never knew. You seem so happy. I was like, I am happy. I am. How is it that I am, though? What have I learned? And what have other Christians learned in how to weather these kinds of storms? Whether it's spiritual attack coming against you, it's conflict between you and another person, you and a friend, you and somebody else at church, whether it's a, a storm of bad circumstances 
that are going on in your life. You know, sometimes stuff happens. Uh, whatever it is, how do we go through it? How do we thrive in the middle of it? And how do we come out on the other side strong and whole and healthy and ready to move forward in the Lord? And that's what Paul's talking about in the passage today. He effectively, he talks about the conflict going on there in, in, in the church in Philippi and then says, okay guys, this is what you all need to do. It's important here, most of the time when you hear this passage preached, and certainly a lot of times when I preach it, it's not necessarily wrong, but it's important to note here that every command Paul gives in the passage we read today, he's given it in the second person plural. In, in other words, if he was from the southern part of the United States, he'd say, y'all do this. Y'all do this. That means every one of you do these things, and every one of you should be doing these things together. That's the implication. There's a personal responsibility here, but the personal responsibility is fulfilled in a corporate context. So you can't just do these things on your own in your home and expect the same results as if you do these things on a regular basis with other believers gathered together. It's important to do these things on your own in your home, but you also must be engaging in these things together with other believers. So what does Paul say here? He starts out, and it's really the theme of this whole letter. It's also been the theme of this sermon series. He says, rejoice! In the Lord. Again, I will say it, rejoice. Now you know it's got to be important if Paul's repeating it not only once and twice, but he's also said it several different times. Beginning of chapter 3, other, other places, he said this, rejoice, rejoice. And you start thinking, okay, how do I rejoice if everything's going wrong? How do I rejoice in the midst of difficult circumstances? How do I rejoice in the midst of conflict? Our tendency is to want to focus on our circumstances. But if you focus on your circumstances, you will never rejoice fully. And you'll certainly never rejoice in the Lord. I've said before, joy is a matter of focus. And to rejoice means to choose to focus on those things that cause joy. The word joy in the New Testament is very closely related to the word grace. It's all part of kind of the same root. Uh, and the concept of joy includes the activity of rejoicing as well as the object of rejoicing. In other words, you can't rejoice unless you have the right focus. You can't rejoice unless you're looking at the right thing. Now, a lot of people seem to think, and, and I've heard this almost in the body of Christ over the years, where people will say, oh, well, we get, give thanks, you know, in spite of our circumstances. And so, yeah, I just lost my arm in a farming accident. Thank you, Jesus. You know, I got another one. Now, and that's not what joy is about. That's not the idea behind joy. Rejoicing is choosing to focus, and to rejoice in the Lord means that you choose to focus on the Lord. So 
If you're in the middle of circumstances and you're saying, boy, Satan is terrible, he's really big, boy, these circumstances are bad, boy, my flesh is awful, oh, I hate my flesh, I'm struggling against my sinful humanity there, I hate that, oh, the world, you know, the world's always trying to get me to go away from God, isn't this terrible, all the things that are going on in my life. Guess what? If that is your focus, you will give in to Satan you will give in to the world and you will give in to your flesh and you will think your life is miserable. So what do you do? You start to focus on the Lord. So you're struggling with your flesh. Say you're struggling with temptation. The answer is not to say, okay, get behind me, Satan. Get rid of that temptation. I'm going to beat myself. The answer is to say, Jesus, thank you that you died on the cross for me. You rose bodily from the dead. That sin no longer has dominion over me. Satan no longer has dominion over me. And I honor you, Jesus, that you're my elder brother. I am your brother. I am the Son of God. And I rejoice in you, Father, that you are all-powerful and all-knowing. You knew before the foundation of the world where I would be right now. And I thank you that before the foundation of the world, you gave me the ability to overcome the struggle that I'm facing right now. And if you have that kind of focus on the Lord, you'll have joy. And that's why Paul says, rejoice in the Lord. And I'll say it again, rejoice. If you do not choose to rejoice, you will become a victim, not a victor. If you do not choose to rejoice, you will succumb to the stuff that is happening to you, not be able to overcome and move forward. So you choose to rejoice, and it's a command. This is not Paul saying, well, it's a good idea to rejoice. He's saying, no, rejoice, and this is so important, I'm going to say it again, Rejoice. Absolutely essential. Then he goes on and says one of the most difficult passages to translate. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I'll say rejoice. Uh, Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. Uh, That word reasonableness is an incredibly difficult word to translate. If you look at five different translations, you will probably find you know, five different versions of uh, the English Bible, you'll probably find five different words. Uh, The concept here is what I like to call magnanimous. Magnanimity. The word means that you refuse to engage in conflict and you refuse to be self-seeking. So the idea is you be generous in spirit toward everybody, that you show a generous spirit. Now, how, how do we do that? Well, say, uh, Coop, you know, he comes up to me in the morning and says, uh, well, Rod, you're looking mighty ugly today. Now, now, I can take that in two ways. I could say, and Coop's never said that to me, by the way. Uh, uh, he's always said, Rod, I look up to you. But, of course, he is shorter than me. So that, I, I, I don't know what that's about. So anyway, uh, so I could respond to that in two ways. One, I could respond to that and say, well, Cook is such a rebellious person. You know, after all I've done for him, he's just in rebellion, and I need to preach a sermon on rebellion today so I can really get him. I won't mention his name. I'll just say, you know, I had a guy, a friend from Burma that I, I've loved very much who happens to play bass, uh, and, uh, you, know, you know, you could do that. 
Now that's not magnanimous. Or I could say, wow, Coop must have had a bad morning. Got up on the wrong side of the bed. Well, Father, I just honor you for, for Coop, and I pray that you'd bless him and encourage him and enable him to go through the day in power and joy. That's a different attitude. And this is the concept here. Somebody might try to bait you into a conflict. You say, no, no, I'm not going to fight with you. I'm going to give you grace. I'm going to be generous in my attitude toward you. Uh, So that's the word. Let your generosity, let that magnanimity be known to everyone. In other words, be obviously magnanimous. Don't hide it, don't disguise it, but let it shine forth. Be obviously magnanimous. So rejoice in the Lord, be obviously magnanimous. And then Paul goes on and says, the Lord is near. There's a number of ways to understand this. I mean, one way is that Paul could have been saying, be obviously magnanimous because the Lord is watching out for you and he could get you. That's probably not the way he was talking about. Uh, Then there are some legitimate interpreters who say, well, Paul was probably just reminding them to be openly magnanimous because one day soon Jesus is coming again. And that, that could be what he says. But I think... What Paul is saying here, what Paul is encouraging the people to remember is that God is with you right now. In other words, we need to practice the presence of God. We need to live and believe that God is with us every single moment. You know, it's really hard to give in to certain temptations if you know God's there with you. If you know Jesus is right there in the room with you, hearing you tell that lie, it's hard to give in and tell a lie. And so if we practice the presence of the Lord, there's great power in that. It's also true if you're having spiritual attacks come against you. If you have a spiritual attack and you're under spiritual warfare, our tendency is to say, oh God, why have you abandoned me? Why have you left me all alone? Oh, i got to fight here. This is terrible. All of these things are happening to me. What did I do to make you angry with me? Oh, my life is awful. Uh, and that's the attitude. I see a lot of Christians whining and complaining that way when stuff comes. And that's because what's happening They're not practicing the Lord's presence. What they're doing, they're focusing on their circumstances. If they would just bother to turn around and look up and see that their heavenly Father is standing right beside them, right behind them in that moment, if they'd happen to bother to look up and know that their elder brother Jesus Christ, who's defeated all the principalities and powers and disarmed them completely, is there with them, if they happen to realize that the Spirit of God is inside of them in that moment, you don't be afraid. You stand in strength. You know what's happening. And you know that your Father is right there. And so... The key thing is, if the enemy's coming against you and your daddy's standing right behind you to support you, you direct the focus of the enemy onto your dad, not onto you. Because as soon as they see your dad, as soon as they see your elder brother, demons flee. And we have to have that kind of attitude when we're out in the world. I know a lot of people that go out in the world and say, oh, you know, what happens if I walk into a place and there's a Buddha? Big deal. It's a dead idol. 
You know, don't act like it's got some power over you. Oh, you know, well, what if I walk into a place and there's a symbol of witchcraft? Big deal. It's not like it's got power over you. Stand remembering that the Lord is near. That's essential. If we don't do that, we'll capitulate to the problems. Now, sometimes our Father will let us struggle a little bit. Don't panic. It's for your learning and for your growing. But the Lord is near. So practice the presence of God. Practice the presence of God. And then Paul goes on and says, Do not be anxious about anything. Do not be anxious about anything. Resist anxiety. Uh, Anxiety is this sense of unease and discomfort that comes from being overly concerned about something that's uncertain. So if I said... Uh, if I said to you, okay, you're going to have an exam at the, end of this, uh, at the end of this sermon, and whether you pass or fail the exam will determine whether you go to heaven or not, and you really believe that, you really know that, it's natural that you'd feel a bit anxious. You don't know what the questions are, you didn't study for the exam, uh, but after I said later on, there's one question on the exam, who is it that died on the cross and rose from the dead? Uh, to save you and you say Jesus you know you pass you get into heaven that's really great you know there's no anxiety there Uh, now the word anxiety is very is the exact same word as the word concern and so there's sometimes you read in Paul where Paul says I'm anxious about the churches actually I think that's a poor translation in context Paul is saying I'm just concerned about all these churches He's not saying he's anxious because it would be wrong for Paul to say I'm anxious and then say don't be anxious about anything. So we have to resist this anxiety. And this is a struggle because anxiety is one thing that's prevalent everywhere in our world today. There is a disease of anxiety that is in all, all corners of the world and certainly in the United Kingdom. And government's infected by anxiety. People are infected by anxiety. Things like Brexit and what's going to happen with Brexit that raises anxiety. People who are living here that are from other parts of the EU wondering what's going to happen. They're dealing with anxiety. I mean, anxiety is all around us. Anxiety is an ever-present force in our world right now. And there's a lot of times when anxiety influences us and we're not even aware of it. I won't go into great detail in in teaching about anxiety itself and all of that. I I did that. If you have a copy of my book, Freed to Lead, uh, it's in the book. Uh, I've got a whole section on anxiety in that book. If you don't have a copy of it, you can get a copy of it. Uh, I'm not trying to plug the book. I'm just saying I don't want to repeat all the teaching there. The key issue, though, to understand is that you can resist anxiety. You can say, I will not be anxious. Now, this doesn't mean that you'll never have anxiety. Anxiety is a normal response to anything that's uncertain in our lives. Anxiety will come up. The key is that we resolve it and we resist it. And we can do that as we do these other things. So do not be anxious about anything. Do not let you... Uh, yourself convince you that anxiety is something good, that it's something normal. 
It's not, but it's a very powerful force in the world today. So Paul says, resist anxiety. Now the good news here is the way that we resist anxiety is everything else that Paul has just been saying. Rejoice in the Lord, uh, be obviously magnanimous, practice the presence of the Lord, remember that the Lord is near. If you do all of these things and the other things that Paul is about to tell us, then you will overcome anxiety. So he says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. So what should we pray about? Everything. Everything. From time to time, there's really strange teachings that come out. I've heard some people say, well, don't, you're not supposed to pray about the small things in your life. No, you pray about everything. I've heard some people say, well, you only pray once for something and then let it go. No, Paul doesn't say that. In fact, the force of the language here is pray and keep on praying. Supplicate and keep on supplicating. Give thanks and keep on giving thanks. There's no sense of, oh yeah, I've, I prayed about that now and that's all done and I can just let it go. No, do not be anxious about every, anything, but in everything, in everything, by prayer and supplication. The word prayer means, is the, the most general word for prayer in the Bible. It includes every form of prayer. When we sing songs, do you know, the Bible actually would describe that as prayer more than it would describe it as worship when we sing songs. Uh, so we sing songs, that's prayer. We meditate on the scripture, that's prayer. We have a brief conversation with God while we're on public transport, that's prayer. We kneel down in the, in the privacy of our homes and talk to God, that's prayer. We sit before the Lord in silence, waiting to listen, to hear from Him, that's prayer. All of these activities are prayer. And so Paul says, with everything, you need to pray. Prayer is one of the most important activities we do as Christians. And you might say, well, well what about evangelism? What about healing? What about deliverance? Uh, what about prophecy? What about worship? All of those things are empowered by prayer. If we learn how to pray, you'll be a better evangelist. Because if you're praying, you can hear God tell you who to share the gospel with so that they will respond. If you pray, obviously you'll be better in the prophetic. If you pray, you'll be a better worshiper. If you pray, you'll study the Bible better. You'll hear from God. So in everything, we got to pray and pray and pray and keep on praying in all the different ways that we can pray. Find the way that is natural for you. Find the way that God has designed you to pray because we pray in different ways. Uh, some people are, are extroverted prayers, and, and that means that they're constantly talking. Oh, God, do this, and they're just going and going and going and going. Uh, others are more introverted prayers. Huh. Now, and the cool thing is we got the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit interprets that to the Father through Jesus the Son, uh, and, and he, he gets that. And that's okay. So find out what is best for you and how God's designed you and pray, but keep on praying and keep on praying and find other ways to pray, expand that, but pray, 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 pray and pray some more. 
So in everything, by prayer, and then there's supplication. Now what is supplication? It is asking God for specific things. Asking God for specific things. There's a whole school of thought that we should never be very specific in our prayers. Just say, God, you know, let your will be done. Uh, Just let it happen according to your ways and let me just tolerate whatever happens. Uh, But actually, Paul is telling us that when we pray, we need to be specific. And the way that you know if you are supplicating, how will you know when God answers the prayer? If you don't know and you can't know when God answers that prayer, you're not doing supplication. So this morning, we prayed for North Korea. And we prayed for North Korea a lot here at City Temple. It's one of my own personal prayer burdens that I, I foist on, on the congregation many times. Uh, but we pray for resolution there. Now, how will we know when that happens? We'll know when the gospel goes forth in that nation, when the Korean Peninsula is reunited, when God deals with the the despotic uh, regime that's in place there, and and that's all dealt with, we'll know that the prayer's been answered. That's supplication. So if you know when the prayer's been answered, you're supplicating. And Paul tells us we need to pray in every way possible, but we also need to supplicate. We also need to present specific requests to God. We need to ask God for things. And if you don't know what to ask for, ask God to tell you what to ask for. I, I love that with, with children. You, you've learned, if you, you've had kids or been around kids for any length of time, that when a, when a child asks for something, it doesn't necessarily mean you should give the child what they're asking for. Oh, please, let me have that Snickers bar. Oh, please, I want to have this sweetie, or I want to have that sweetie. And you know, you know, you say, no, you won't do that. Uh, And Karen's taught me a lot about this. Uh, So rather than just say no, Karen will also, will often give choices. Well, I'm sorry you can't have that, but you could have this, or you could have this. You know, you could have a banana, or you could have an apple. And then the kids get really excited about that. And they'll say, an apple. And and Karen say, well, that's great. You know, and give them an apple. God does that for us. Do you understand this? God does the same thing. You might say, oh God, you know, please give me this thing in my life. Give me this job. I really would like this job. And God says, well, no, uh, you can't have that job, but you could do this or you could do this. Oh, okay, well, I'll do this. But the thing is, you've got to be listening to God to give you the choices. But if you listen to God, God will tell you what you can pray and what he'll say yes to. The great thing about that is, I've seen this with kids, when Karen gives the choice and the kids then respond to the choice by asking for something, they ask in confidence that Karen is going to give what she just said she'd give. Now, if we can say that about an earthly person, how much more can we say that about our Heavenly Father? So Paul says, in everything, everything of your life, with prayer and supplication, make your requests known to God. And he says one other thing, with thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is absolutely essential. 
Thanksgiving is one of the most powerful forces to overcome spiritual attack in your life. Because there's nothing like Thanksgiving to focus you in the right way, in a way that will bring joy. And when you give God thanks, and you give God thanks in everything, He'll show you how many blessings He's lavished on you in His Son, Jesus Christ. So in everything, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. You thank God, and you thank God, and you keep on thanking God. And you say, okay, well, I'm doing this. I'm I'm rejoicing in the Lord. I'm uh, being obviously magnanimous. I'm practicing the presence of God. I'm resisting anxiety in everything. Uh, I'm presenting my request to God with prayer and supplication along with thanksgiving. I'm doing all of that. How do I know if it's working? How do I know if I've gotten to the place where I need to be? How do I know if I've experienced the results? Here's the promise that's connected to this verse. Paul promises this, and the peace of God, which passes understanding, transcends understanding, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. The peace of God, which passes understanding, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. Peace is shalom. It's a sense of well-being. It's a sense that I'm okay. I remember years ago, I was going through, as another church, I was going through a terrible time of conflict, uh, and I was at a conference not related to the church, and I was sitting there at the side, and somebody came up and asked me, and said, are you okay? And I said, yeah, I'm okay. And all of a sudden, I realized, yeah, I'm okay. In spite of what I was going through at the time, which I thought was absolutely terrible, I was okay. And I realized that the peace of Christ was there. And so that's what Paul says. The peace of Christ, the peace of God, that sense of well-being, that sense of calm, that sense of shalom, that peace of God, which transcends all understanding. That means it won't make sense to you. I've been through seasons in my own life where I've had this tremendous peace of God, but when I look around me and I see all the junk happening, I thought, well, this doesn't make sense that I'm so peaceful. But I'm peaceful. That's a sign that you're where you're supposed to be. That's a sign that you're doing this and engaging with this by the grace of God and the power of the Holy Spirit. So that peace of God will pass all understanding. You, you won't, you'll say, this doesn't make sense. I don't fully understand what's going on, but I know the peace is there. Hallelujah, thank God. The peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard, it means literally build a fortress around. Will build a fortress around your heart and your mind. The nuance for these two words here is not just about your heart in some metaphorical sense or your mind in some metaphorical sense. The nuance behind these two words, it means the emotions that you are experiencing and the thoughts that you are thinking. So this peace of God will start to surround you and the peace of God influences the emotions you are experiencing and the thoughts that you are thinking. And when the peace of God that you don't understand is surrounding you and influencing the the emotions that you're experiencing and the thoughts that you're thinking, then you know you're engaging in this. Then you know what's going on, that God is there and God is interacting with all of this. 
And that's the promise. And this is how we deal with these difficult circumstances. It's certainly something that I experience in my life, and I'm thankful I experience it more and more and more. You know, even this morning, as I said, that I was experiencing this sense of spiritual attack uh, during the opening worship time, I just started to engage in the Lord. I rejoiced in the Lord. I said, I'm not going to focus on this. I kept going in terms of, of worship. I said, Lord, we need to deal with this. And then I just pressed through it. And I got to the place where all of a sudden the peace of God took hold of what I was thinking and took hold of what I was feeling and it was calm and I was able to push on and we were able to continue on in worship. You can do this at work. You can do this at home. You can do this on the bus. You can do this in the midst of a riot. Uh, Any circumstance that you're in, you can follow Paul's guidance here and you will come to the place where the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will surround the feelings that you're experiencing and the thoughts that you're thinking in Christ Jesus. And this happens because, not because we work at it, not because we get the formula right, but because the Spirit of God lives inside of us as believers. Jesus is in us. Jesus is with us. And our elder brother is surrounding us, and our daddy is right behind us, and God's grace is lavished on us in Jesus Christ, and the presence of God in us as believers is what empowers this reality in our lives, where we can overcome anxiety, we can overcome all of the the challenges that we are facing in a moment-by-moment basis, guarded by that well-being of God in Jesus Christ. And for us, that's really good news. And what we're going to do here, in closing it out, uh, before we go into our closing worship, is we're going to practice probably the three-and-a-half-minute Thanksgiving challenge. We normally do a five-minute Thanksgiving challenge, but here in a moment, what I want you to do is I'm going to tell you to stand and then start thanking God out loud for any blessing you can think of. Doesn't matter what it is. Doesn't matter how small it is, how big it is. The only rule is you cannot repeat. So it would be unfair for me to say, thank God for my wife. Thank God for my wife. Thank God for Karen. Thank God for my wife. Thank God for my wife. Uh, So if I thank God for my wife, then that just counts as one. Now I can say, Thank God for my wife's cooking. Thank God for my wife's beauty. You know, I can do that. Uh, And sometimes as a special challenge, I've done that. Uh, Just focused on one person or one situation. Uh, But we want to do that for about three and a half, four minutes. Uh, And uh, I'll just encourage you to stand up. And then when you hear me start singing, that's the time you can wind down the Thanksgiving. Okay, we all ready? So on the marks, get set, stand and start thanking the Lord.